all opportunities that have come my way um, have uh, been organic or kind of random from BA to program manager yeah. in one meeting with none of the skills. Yeah. <laughs> what, what skills do you think um, are critical in a program manager transformation role? Oh, stakeholder management, right? Yep. Technology isn't just code. It is a game of relationships and communication. Get comfortable with your imposter syndrome and, you know, back yourself. Uh, take those challenges that you're not ready for. That, to me, is the uh, is my biggest ongoing, lifelong leadership challenge, I think. There's a, there's a big debt of gratitude out there of the people yep. I've worked with in the past. Yeah, to me, the CTO role is really about... On today's show, we have Bill Hunter. Bill's journey has seen him go from DJ and musician to CTO at Colmeo, one of Australia's most exciting prop tech scale-ups. Bill came into a tech career by chance and with the backing of a leader who saw potential in him. This has led to a fantastic career working for businesses such as Catholic Church Insurance, OzSuper, Tabcor and Ento.com. Bill is a dynamic and high-energy tech leader. His passion for his work is clear for all to see. Today, you will learn the importance of backing yourself into roles that appear too big and not being afraid to fail. So, uh, Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, we've actually had a pretty long-standing relationship of working together. Yeah, uh, but absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll confess this is the first time I've really looked at your backstory. <laughs> that's okay. I think that makes me feel more comfortable. It should happen. do, actually. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. <laughs> and um, I always like to do a bit of research. And actually, you're a bit more challenging to research because yeah. I'm sure you know there was a yeah. legendary actor called Bill Hunter. Absolutely. Um, and I got to page five of Google. Yeah. Uh, there is a page five of Google. That's the first thing I learned. Most people don't <laughs> go that far. But I, I couldn't find a lot. Yeah. Um, but the things I did learn, uh, I thought was just a really interesting journey that you've taken to see CTO, uh, probably fairly unorthodox yeah. in, in, in some ways. Um, and we'll get there. Uh, but before we kind of get there, I guess let's hit rewind and kind of go back to the, the start of the journey. Um, and there was a void. I couldn't figure out what you did between school yeah. and between turning up at Super Partners as a BA. It's quite um, intentional. So I'm sure <laughs> yeah, there's something <laughs> hidden there. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, reveal what, what happened. Yeah, okay. Um, so... And this story comes full circle, as we'll kind of find out later on. Yeah. Um, uh, but I uh, finished year 12, went and did arts at uh, La Trobe. Um, I've done music all of my life um, yeah. since I, I was uh, six years old, sung at places, played every instrument under the sun. Um, and then that, at that point, I was doing a lot, a lot of uh, music production, yeah. uh, some stuff for... Um, for radio and sort of did some stuff for fashion TV and the like. Yeah. Um, so that really, um, you know, encompassed everything <laughs> that yeah. I was doing in, in school and careers and the like uh, took a, um, a, a back seat. And I ended up working at this uh, at a place that's not on my LinkedIn called AC <laughs> Nielsen, on, which is the ratings company just doing... Um, you know the hey, how was your service with BMW yep. kind of thing? Just to just for some um, uh, rent money while yep. we we're kind of chasing the dream of uh, being a being a famous musician. Um, and the fun thing about that was it was full of musos and sort yeah. of people that we could you know name drop, but but, yeah. but, but it was basically a hundred or so people who were basically doing arts of some description who'd been brought together 
by this um, uh, uh, by one of the leaders there who just yeah, had right. a great network and it was it was one of the funnest jobs yeah. ever but it, it was really that just it was a rent money and yep. so um, I spent a long time um, uh, you know running record labels doing a radio show and um, yeah, right. running running big events and a little bit of touring here and there yeah nice um, and it's actually where, you know, I, I met um, Scott Bateman, who we'll come yeah, right. back to yeah. later as well. We both uh, have taken a slightly different fork in the road. Yeah. So when um, uh, AC Nielsen shut down, um, the I, I think it was Hayes or something like that. Yeah. I was like, okay, I need more rent money. Yeah. And ended up in um, going for a, like a corporate call centre job that yeah. was Super Partners as a temp. Um, and that's kind of what got the ball rolling. Right. And it was still rent money at the yeah. time, but it turned into um, quite a serious sort of sliding door, yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow-esque yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So that was 2006, I think. From You've where, probably looked that far down my LinkedIn have, yeah, more yeah. recently <laughs> than I have, to be yeah. honest. Yes, that's it. that feels about right. Yeah. So how did you then transition from kind of call centre into a, being a BA? How yeah, so... Um, fake it till you make it. The, yeah. uh, um, the uh, it was quite an interesting thing that they were trying to do. They were um, winning uh, corporate uh, s- company superannuation funds, like say a Boeing or a um, you know a Hertz rent a car executive um, superannuation right. uh, yeah. fund. Sorry, I've just but yeah. we, we might have to edit that out. I've just bumped <laughs> your microphone. Sorry, Haley. Um, uh, and they were doing these big migrations of billions of dollars coming across. And to start with, I was in the um, in the call centre answering yeah. queries from some very elated uh, customers. Who, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, quickly, uh, someone called Semi Giannikis, um, who um, was just a, a really great leader and genuinely, you know, nice person, um, said that she thought I'd have more fun. I think as a business analyst yeah. and kind of uh, wrangled that for me a yeah. little bit as well. Um, I didn't really know what that was at the yeah. time, um, but she could probably see at the same time a little bit of disruptive behaviour <laughs> yeah. and boredom <laughs> happening in the uh, in their call centre side of things as well. And that was just the best. The uh, BA, uh, I, I still feel like I'm a BA at yeah. the end of the day. Um, a lot of people who have BA backgrounds who've kind of done similar things to me I can I we relate very well and kind of um there's a bit of a one of us (laughs) vibe uh that creeps in um because it you you know it is all about using your head um pull it tugging at all the threads bringing them together and you know proposing solutions and um uh yeah it's, it's very engaging and rewarding work it's, uh, I guess it's one of those roles where you, you kind of get under the hood, yeah, so to speak, and you kind of understand how all the moving parts work yeah, totally. to make the yeah. vehicle go, as yeah. a kind of metaphor. But, yeah. um, and that, I was going to ask you what it did teach you about tech, but I guess it was that. It was the kind of mechanics of you know, yeah, what happens was, in a business. It, it was big data, a big data sets, not big data. That came yeah. later, well, yeah. pre-big data then. Um, but it was working with really large data sets and sort of working with... Um, Python and yeah. to sort of do 
um, uh, to reconcile stuff and find errors, um, migration like ETL. Yeah. Um, still, a lot of it was done in spreadsheets at that time as yeah. well. And um, I, I reckon I could probably challenge anyone still to a spreadsheet battle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my, a gauntlet, I think, being yeah, thrown yeah. down there. <laughs> there's, there's competitive, there's Excel competitive Is competitions that? now, yeah. which I wouldn't, you know, be up for, <laughs> but it's like, it's a whole thing. <laughs> and um, it obviously gave you a, a taste for tech. Yep. Because uh, you moved on after a couple of years, and uh, I think after four years, you moved on to Catholic Church Insurance. Yes. Initially as a BA, then as a, a systems tech uh, yeah. Sorry, systems team leader. Yeah. What what kind of drew you to that opportunity? Um, look, I think there was a, um, at that time, it's st- I think it's, it's Super Partners is still the longest job I've ever had. Um, I'm yeah, getting right. pretty close to it now, but it was yeah. five and a half-ish years. Yeah. Um, so, and, and it was a great organisation. Yeah. Um, like all organisations had its quirks. May, yeah. may it rest in peace now, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but just the the idea of sort of doing something a little bit new um, with a little bit more um, accountability and meat on the bone. Yeah, um, yeah cl- being closer to the systems, but also leveraging those. Um, by the end of the time, my time at Super Partners, I had a pretty good... Um, view of how the full life cycle I'd call it, yeah. you'd call it uh, and you know being able to apply, apply that large full life cycle on a very focused client yeah. and own that own that end to end at a smaller level yeah. um, it's like a nice opportunity to kind of double down and regroup and sort of just re uh, just embed uh, those skills as well yeah and you kind of continue that journey with um, Ozsuper yep. into more of a project management transformation yeah. type type role, which I guess is probably a natural step from BA. Uh, yeah, is yeah, it what, is. What, what we would see, I guess, more more often than not. But how did you find that transition then from from BA to kind of the, actually overseeing the project? The move to sort of that was a program uh, that one. Um, so it's definitely a sink or swim. So yeah. I'm someone I you know have a, a lot of time for and was probably one of my earliest mentors, a guy uh, called Duncan Howard, who yeah. worked with me at CCI, had did float around super partners as well. Yeah. Um, uh, they'd just won uh, the Australian Super account. Right. And I was talking about Duncan, hey, I want to do some consulting. Like, let, let's, yeah. you know, I was only probably seven years into my career and wanted to you know gather all these experiences yep. and get range and um kind of sort of um amplify how quickly i could sort of had, get exposure to different things um so it just so happened when i was talking to him they just won australian super yep and so um you know i think duncan's where i got my um sort of penchant for taking a punt on people when they're really not ready to yep. do a thing. So I went in there, had a meeting um, with the exec, uh, two of the exec there, um, and kind of to my surprise, they said, yeah, let's let's go ahead. Yeah. Um, and so from BA to program manager yeah. in one meeting with none of the skills. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that, that's how I've worked ever since, really. Um, and that Australian Super, I've got a lot of time for. They're a really great organisation from a cultural point of view, yeah. from a 
innovation point of view, the way they sort of Mark Delaney and co bought investments in house um, was a big um, big risk and has really ultimately paid off uh, yep. an alliance and has set sort of set the trend for the rest of rest of the industry. Um, so they, they they were an excellent organisation and. Um, I think it was about two and a half years later, I'd run their first ever Agile program and got their My Super license for yep. them, which, you know, anyone who's in an industry super fund probably sees that little stamp yep. uh, on their statement uh, if they read it. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we've done some pretty great things that still, you know, they're still there today. So they owed a lot, lot of time for Australia. Yeah, that's great. Pretty cool. And you kind of mentioned that you, you kind of went into that role uh, coming from a BA mm-hmm. uh, and without the skills, yep. uh, what what skills do you think um, are critical in a program manager transformation role? Oh, stakeholder management, right? Yep. Like I, I was pretty green, and you know, you um, you go in with um, uh, you know, you think you you, you can you, you can always be more humble. Let's yep. put it that way. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, knowing who's who in the zoo and who's really yeah. um, who, what everyone's interests are, and is really important in building relationships. And knowing that you, it is a game of relationships and communication. Um, yeah. If you have those, if you're, if people have, and relationships isn't just being friends with people; it's about trust, right? Okay. And. Um, uh, having having that that uh, trusting relationship allows you to move for move through without necessarily having to explain anything, everything or uh, introducing layers of bureaucracy if you're trying to move fast yep. because uh, people know you're there to yep. represent them. You're aligned. They don't have to. You're not a threat, right? And that's a big thing in you know uh, broader change programs. Everyone's you know fight or flight yep. is is going off. Um, big lizard brain energy and people <laughs> think that they're you know um, they're about to get eaten by a dinosaur or whatever yeah. um, it's, it's still innate in all of us so you need to make people feel feel safe you know yeah like, thinking you're the dinosaur I think uh, transformation takes a village yep that's uh, right you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big effort and you, you, you after that you kind of moved on and spent um, from what I could see close to about three years working in consulting yeah so you kind of come away from being in industry, as I would call it, to, yeah. to that. How, how did you kind of find that transition? Yeah, so the um, that time consulting was, was effectively for Australian super. So, uh, okay, so there's it. a, yeah, and, th- and that kind of leads to, um, you know, my, why I, I'd done some great work, really liked Australian yeah. super, um, and I, I feel like I've left a, a good legacy there. Yes. Um, from my point of view, anyway, they've probably moved. They've done a lot of stuff <laughs> <laughs> since I'm then. sure you still remembered. Yeah, 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 that's it. That's yeah. it. hopefully for the for the right reasons. Um, <laughs> yeah. The uh, so, but you know, as, as I said earlier, I, I did get into join IQ to collect these experiences, mm. and I'd grown our footprint from myself to about I think fifteen or so people yeah, right. at Australian Super. Um, and so that consistency of having me there was worth a lot to IQ and I wasn't yeah. going to get moved around too much. So yeah. Um, yeah, I had to find something else to go and collect those experiences, right? Yes. Right. And that's kind of um, in what you've just described there in, in the consulting experiences is fairly similar to being a contractor. 
Yeah. Uh, it was much, yeah, yeah, it was much closer to being a contractor than a consultant. And a lot of, I guess a lot of people in tech go down that contracting path, they come away from kind of permanent yeah. employment to, to, to offer that side of things. What, um, I guess, what was your learning or takeaway from that experience that you would advise someone that was maybe considering going down that path? The, the contracting path that yeah. is? Uh, look, I, I've noticed over the last sort of five years or so, you know, the, the contracting path is good until it's not, right? Yeah. We have had, um, you know, gluts of contractors when, when rates are high and it's, yeah. a, it's a contractor's market rather than an employer's market. And so you you know, and I think if you've got the if you've got the guts, make hay when yeah. the sun shines. Yeah. Um, but always keep a war chest because yeah. when it when it's bad it can be really bad. And yeah. we had have people who would never dream of going full time because, you know, conditions are too good coming back, you know, nine months later saying, Hey, have you got anything? Yeah. Um so I think it, uh, but I think it has its place, right? I, I think the market was really overvalued for a, for a while there, mm-hmm. about two years ago, and the rates people were getting, and more power to them if you can yeah. if you can get it, go for it, right? Um, but I think it's settled down uh, yep. a lot now. Um, I personally, I've done it once, um, but. I don't have the wherewithal to, I'm too much of a warrior and a future planner. (laughs) I can't uh, know if I'm going to, not know if I'm going to be employed in (laughs) four weeks time because I'm waiting to see if someone's going to roll something over. It's, uh, yeah. Look, it's, (laughs) there's a big bit there about that um, job security. And you say it's definitely a risk reward dynamic when when you kind of go into that, that path. Um, I also noticed around that time uh, when you finished up with Oz Super, you you went to to Tapcor. Yeah. Um, and I think what's interesting is is a lot of people become wedded to one industry. Yeah. And you've been with kind of I'm going to call it financial services. Yeah. Anyway, money. Yeah. <laughs> for want of a better word, for 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 most of that career in yeah. tech. Um, and then you went across to the kind of gaming industry. Yeah. So how how was that different to what you'd experienced in? Uh, the superannuation world. I I probably argue it's no different, right? It's okay. a it's money. It's a trans. It's a ledger of a transaction. Your the your odds are the interest paid. It's basically yeah. it's basically a unit trust. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, so I, I, that you know obviously massive oversimplification, but the regulatory aspect of it is yeah. very similar. Okay. Um, the uh, you know the, there's definitely do's and don'ts. Um, I think. The differences and the thing that really, you know, put, putting gambling aside, which it's not really my my thing, and it, yeah. I, so uh, to me, it's a do once, check it out. I'll, yeah. I'll, I won't work in wagering again. I'll, yeah. you know, I'm, uh, I'm pretty staunch on that. Um, but the difference between go, doing sort of um, fin services proper and gambling is obviously the customer, the the kind of customer experiences yeah. and level of emotion and you know good and very bad yeah. um, and the number of touch points is just so interesting for someone who you know I said quipped earlier you know if you even read your statement that's like yeah. a real thing for the super so yeah. how many people were actually opening that letter or yeah. do they see it, our logo and throw it in the bin and that's how one touch point every kind of six yeah, months yeah. or so whereas you've got um, uh, you know, upwards of at the time, I think it was five thousand transactions a second on cut day. Wow. Um, we, you know, it's a real yeah. um, 
uh, kind of it's more relatable even in a negative way like you yeah. know be, people kind of get it and they have an opinion on it and so yeah. that uh, bringing kind of technology to life and using it to create experiences um, is super interesting Tabcorp was also very different um, culturally obviously yeah. as well in terms uh, of the pace of, of change pace uh, pace of change um, the the you know the cohort of people who yeah. worked there you know um, uh, but also, um, I think as an organisation, it was really struggling with its size as well. Yeah, okay. And I think the um, uh, a level of um, paperwork yeah. uh, involved in to, to get stuff done yeah, uh, okay. was pretty high as well. But they have this, you know, we, you, Kim Wen, who was the CTO at the time, who I rated quite highly, yeah. um, but always thought... There is such a disproportionate focus on keeping this system, this one system up on a cup day and there's this world of opportunity of stuff <laughs> that we could be doing around that. Um, and so I was kind of at odds with that a little bit and lo and behold, she left and I think six months later it was cup day and the platform went down and yeah. Tabcorp was on the front page of the age and I was like, I get it. And now yeah. I get it. Like, you, you know, you've got your... You, Number one priority might not be the most immediate thing, but it's still a huge priority. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. I mean, that's the showcase piece that the, the, the I guess most people's interaction would be on that day. Yeah, with the platform. Yeah, um, and I guess that's where they, I would assume, they probably retain clients or customers for the future, kind of going forward. Yeah, after that experience. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, it's, and it's like you look at Optus now, right? Yeah. No one's ringing and infrastructure, mm. those kind of parts of technology. No one's sending you a bottle of champagne for Christmas to say thanks for keeping the system up all year. Yeah. But as soon as as soon as anything goes down, yeah. you're in the paper, you're in yeah. war rooms that last for forty eight hours with execs dropped like me dropping in and out asking the same <laughs> question every every uh, or two every half hour. So yeah, it can be thankless and it's, you know a good reminder for everyone about how important these nuts and bolts things are absolutely when you when you left tabcore uh you joined ento.com yeah uh which from what i could see was your first i'm going to call it leadership role uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i guess you could say that yeah. um and i was just interested in as you went into that role um who were your kind of role models who who who'd you looked at through your career to that point and admired uh, yeah, I, look, I had <laughs> one person actually in mind in that role, yeah. a bloke called uh, Gav McCauley, who's now, um, uh, you know, back in in England. Um, but he was my lead uh, at uh, Tabcorp, and he's, you know, he was a nurturer. He was a it was a vision setter, and then a get a, get out of the way. Yeah, and um, yeah, that kind of calm in chaos way of leading is something that I think I've tried to model um, throughout the years. Although people who've worked with me will say that you know I'll crack the shits every now and then. (laughs) Everyone everyone has everyone has a line. Everyone's got you can't always be the calm guy. Yeah, Uh, but yeah. You yeah. just didn't find it for Gavin. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were you? Um, did leadership come natural to you? Uh, I think it, it's hard to say, you know. And be recording a podcast, right? Yeah. You, like, I can picture people who uh, who have worked with me <laughs> listening to this and go, who would go, nah, it yeah. didn't. <laughs> I, I think the the first, I, I think, um, 
you know, and I get you clearly distinguishing here between leadership and kind of managing. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think the people who who have managed in the past, especially in the early days. Um, would say definitely not. He was yeah. an absolute pain in the ass yeah. <laughs> to work for. Yeah. Um, and because um, you know, I, I was feeling feeling my way through it and yeah. made some really right. did some really cringy stuff that, like, yeah. you know, every now and then I'll remember and shudder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think leadership actually, to me comes more is more inherent and comes a little bit more naturally because I do like to you know I've always got an idea in my mind um, of definitely where I want something to be and how a challenge around how good I think something can be yeah um, and I'm I feel like I, I find that pretty easy to communicate and the influence part is for me the part that's been the biggest challenge. Like I can communicate, I yeah. can say, this is why, yeah. this is where we got to go. But you know, it, it's been many years of sort of working on the people. You know, not everyone um, drinks the Kool Aid for no. <laughs> in one pitch deck, uh, as you know. So um, yeah, that to me is the uh, is my biggest ongoing lifelong leadership challenge, I think. Just yeah, okay. making sure that um, I bring people on the journey. Yeah. If, the, the ones who, you know, the, the small minority who might not be yeah. um, working with them because you, it's that um, old kind of, not a great analogy, but you're as fast as your slowest soldier yeah. kind of thing. I, and I think there's been some pretty um, conclusive studies done around the power of one individual uh, to bring down the performance or the engagement uh, of a, a very large group of people in the order of, you know, 50, 60 people in a room, you know, one person yeah. um, can uh, can influence the behaviour of the whole group. So yeah. um, that's important, right? You can't, yeah. you, you just can't, you can't just make... Um, uh, change with the people who agree to it, and yeah, you know, of course, that's right. Straight away, it's um, that's never going to get you anywhere. That's but just also a, that's the, just a loving. <laughs> yeah, that's right. but there's also the rest. There's the ones that are, uh, are saying yes, but they're shaking their head. Oh you know, yeah, in, <laughs> yeah, half <laughs> nods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that got really hard over um, COVID as well. Yeah, and, that's and right. is one of the things we've got back. I'm not going to sit here and advocate for bringing everyone back into the office I think we've yeah. done, built a whole business uh, yeah. you know from our lounge rooms and studies so I, I think we, you can do amazing things um, but yeah being able to see body language when yeah. when times are tough um, is super important I think it's interesting we've been talking about that actually in in the business ourselves. Um, how through COVID we didn't have a choice we couldn't come together you know yeah. lockdowns and so forth the restrictions didn't yeah. When, when people were having a tough time, they couldn't say, yeah. you know, I'm going to go to the office and be around people mm-hmm. um, and have those people lift me up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we know we're in fairly rocky waters economically at the moment. <laughs> um, but the difference to COVID is we've got that chance. You know, don't yeah. don't stay at home and kind of hide from the bad news. Yeah, you Come yeah, to the office, exactly. surround yourself by people that can yeah, lift you up mm-hmm. um, and happy through those tough times as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, uh, in uh, in 2019, you you joined your current employer, yeah, uh, Agent Plus. I think you yeah. were called them, but now yeah, Cormier. we were. I'm see, I'm, 
if you're watching on video, I'm still using a stock Agent Plus notebook because someone ordered like 5,000 of them and we've got a cupboard full of them. (laughs) So I'm trying to reduce, reuse, recycle. (laughs) and you've touched on the pandemic. It's a great time. It was just before the pandemic yeah. when, when you joined. Um, and if I'm correct, you initially joined as head of delivery. Yeah. Uh, and then became CTO. Yeah. Was that always the plan? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that was always the plan. Um, but we needed to make, you know, pretty big strategic changes to a platform and, uh, you know, big swathes of change management uh, to get there. But yeah, the CTO role was always uh, part of the roadmap. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. And I, I read an article this week um, in McKinsey, and it was talking about the, the difference between a CIO and a CTO. Yeah. Um, and broadly, what it was saying is uh, a CIO is internally focused. Yeah. A CTO is product focused or product yeah. strategy focused. Um, and I was going to say, ask your opinion, you know, does that accurately kind of reflect the role that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and I think it's uh, only recently that some of the CIO aspects of the role have crept in because we've had to you know migrate our office 365 and all that yeah, fun stuff that I know nothing about it's not my yeah. it's not my thing but uh, yeah to me the CTO role is really about um, creating something new uh, it's not operational it's about yeah. it, you know it is a, a product driven you know we're, we're changing something what can we do with technology to affect an outcome? That we're that we're looking yeah. for, um, early days. I you know, and with the background sort of running product delivery for Ento and sort of um, pretty deep business systems analysis um, and sort of like architect- architecture adjacent stuff. Yeah. Uh, in the early days, I ran uh, the product team and the technology team, yeah. and at scale, um, we split that out, and it now sits under. Uh, my excellent colleague Eloise Wall, who yep. is our chief customer officer, and that works well. And I think at scale introduces that little bit of healthy tension as well yep. around what can we do, how should we do it, and then collectively what should we do. Yeah. Um, so, and we we you know we've spent a lot of time trying to get that right. It's not always perfect. It's but it's that is that the product technology intersection in my mind is the most important relationship uh, in in sort of any technology product-led organisation because if you don't get that right, you're either building the wrong thing, building the thing wrong, as the old (laughs) um, uh, cliche goes, um, and you might have a, you know, are we considering the customer enough or considering complexity enough? All of these kind of balanced scorecard uh, concepts uh, creep in, and having one person uh, in charge of that um, is at scale. It's, um, it, it, it has a it has a shelf date, you know. Yeah, of course. It's uh, as you were saying that it made me think. One of my favourite quotes I've heard in the last couple of yeah. years, which is uh, "Fall in love with your customers' problems, yeah, not your solutions." Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, I always thought that was quite succinct, but yeah, it, it's a. I think we often see that with product companies, the the obsession over the product. Yeah. Um, and uh, they forget actually someone's got to pay for this yeah <laughs> someone's got to use this and want it yeah the one i like which is kind of the same it, very similar is a solution looking for a problem yeah you know and i uh, we've um that's okay at times sometimes there's like that little moonshot but yeah you gotta gotta shut it down pretty quickly when it doesn't work well it's interesting because i think particularly this year the the abundance of ai 
uh, products. Yeah. And um, the, uh, at times I do question that. Are they are they these kind of solutions? But there isn't necessarily a problem yeah. in the first place, and people are kind of getting behind them, yeah. um, and they're forgetting about the average person that's going to probably use this product. Yeah. And actually, what are their needs, and how sophisticated are they in that journey of using those products? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the um, you've, your barrier to entry now in that space, which is why I'm not as bullish on it as yeah. some others. So we need to see what the final destination yeah. is. There is. Basically, you've got um, one big incumbent who's clearly ahead of the rest in open AI, yeah. um, but you've people who are using their platform to build products on top of are being um, incorporated. You know, those features are yeah. being incorporated in, in, into um, uh, the GPT model quicker than anyone can kind of monetize or scale yes. it. You know, the, the biggest thing um, was being able to use it on top of document sets and a whole bunch of um, startups uh, sprung up on that because it's the obvious thing. And then, you know, three months later, it's part of the product (laughs) and you've just spent a whole bunch of energy that could be spent elsewhere. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think, you know, you look at the the size of the Microsoft investment in OpenAI. Yeah. Um, Microsoft own LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, So you can kind of predict what's going to happen next with LinkedIn and kind of the resume services and and those kind of things. You're right. You know, it's... it's, um, yeah, to be to be seen, I guess. Yeah. But uh, actually, in that same McKinsey article, they were they defined three types of CTO. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a kind of spectrum of sorts. Maybe yeah. is a rather yeah. strong word to use. But um, <laughs> the, the three types that they had is the the challenger, the influencer, mm. and the enabler. And I was going to mm. ask you in your role, um, yeah. where where do you kind of sit? I did a leadership assessment at some point in the last nine months let's yeah. say 12 months um and the the challenger was one of the quadrants on those on those things and i was like i answered a few questions i was like nah not me not me not me not me um and i thought i you know i very much um self-ascribed the <laughs> enabler and yeah. the you know the vision setter and all those yeah. uh kind of things in hindsight and that that sort of caused me a couple of you know moments where I'm like, oh no, I'm doing the challenging thing right now, and yeah. I actually do. I've it's been an interesting journey because I do see myself playing the role of challenger quite naturally. Yeah. Um, uh, I just I think I have a problem with the word sometimes. Like you know, in, yeah, enabler okay. sounds positive, challenger sounds yeah. negative. So but. There is, you know, challenge is positive, right? Um, yeah, of course. No one, no one climbs Mount Everest in a, you know, it's not a negative experience. No, no right? one enables but to it's climb. De- yeah, it's de- yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, like, well, maybe the Sherpas do, but that's a whole other yeah, podcast. That's true. Um, yeah. The uh, so, yeah, I very, very much feel that that is my role. There, it's about how you, you know, you bring that to life. And I mentioned earlier, you know knowing having having a idea and an opinion held very lightly about what could be better where we are and yeah. where we need to be um and some for some people that shows up as the you know visionary like yeah. you know the pull and you know we set the vision and pull people towards you yeah. and you know scott bateman my uh my ceo is amazing 
at that. Um, he's one of the most sort of um, vision, mission-driven leaders I've ever worked for. It's been you know an absolute joy. I'm probably the, the doing the same thing, but from the you know from the back of the pack yeah, as okay. well as a challenger, saying, "Hey, here's where we need to get to. Do you really think this is the best way to do it, or what else can we do uh, in this space to get us there?" With better quality or lower cost or faster or whatever it might be, yeah. Um, just that kind of um, uh, almost devil's advocate at times. Yeah, well. great. you spend a lot of time you, in that space. You've kind of answered my next question. I was going to ask how that uh, the dynamic between you and Scott works. Obviously, you've known each other from the past. Yes, you're now back working together. Yeah. Um, yeah. How does that dynamic work? But I think you maybe just answered that with the, the yeah. supportive nature. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think we there's a you know a lot of trust yeah. there as well. It has been a really long, long journey um, to get to where we are now. Um, the uh, you know so knowing you know each other's moves a little bit yeah. <laughs> helps uh, helps a lot, and I think because we've been friends for so long, we've. You know, building the culture of an organisation from you know no employees because Colmio was a new business. There was yeah. Agent Plus employees who've, who've come across, but Colmio yeah. is a new thing. It's our thing. Um, being able to uh, having a, a strong sense of the identity of our relationship, I think, yeah. um, going for all the way back from music and DJing and all that stuff, and then taking a more sensible path through yeah. through life. Yeah. No offence to all my friends who are, right. are still playing uh, nightclubs each weekend. Hey, you were the um, one that said being a BA was more fun. Yeah, well, yeah. that's it. That's it. Um, so uh, that kind of friendly uh, nature and camaraderie and cha- solving challenges together, I think, is really imprinted on Colmio as a yeah. company as well. Um, we do, we take. Uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously, um, but we're definitely there to do something and change something and bring yeah. about a certain uh, good in the world that we don't currently believe exists. Yeah, great. And I think um, I often think about the CTO role, uh, and I guess I would imagine the most traditional path is probably through a software development, product owner, product yeah. manager, not necessarily DJ to be a <laughs> project manager. Um, but how do you think that journey that you've taken has is, is kind of set you up to, to be the excellent CTO you are now? Yeah, look, I think there is definitely two, you know, beyond the McKinsey article, there's definitely two types of uh, CTOs that I come across. Yeah. And, the, and not saying that someone cannot be both, but generally there's a lean. Um, but there is the strategic... Uh, architecturally driven and sort of solutions focused um, be, uh, CTO, which I kind of uh, subscribe to, which is you know um, being able to affect change, communicate, yeah. stay, do the stakeholder management, talk up sideways yes. and uh, into the teams as yeah. well, and have enough knowledge of the whole thing and the whole challenge and hold all that. Um, close in your head so you can guide an organisation through something yeah. really complex. Um, and then on the other side, there is the people who have come from a development background and, you know, yeah. I, can, I can develop, you don't want me to. I will, I will, <laughs> I will break your platform 
straight away <laughs> very efficiently. But I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A bit rusty. But, you, you know, there's people who are, were just have started as deep technical experts. Yeah. You know, gone to a... a gone, uh, uh, maybe they become a, became a lead BA. Maybe they spun something up themselves, and then they they get to a point and they're learning how to do the business side uh, yeah. as well. And there is, a, I feel like there is a little bit of a ceiling on that. I think both yeah. is correct. I don't work in hugely technical. I, I don't consider what we do at Colmio hugely complex or technical from a. Um, technology point of view intentionally yeah. by the way compared to someone who's designing um, geospatial uh, image recognition software for Teslas so they don't yeah. run over um, cats yeah. <laughs> or anything um, so you know th- that kind of role I think does need someone who's going to be you know probably has a doctor in yeah, front of yeah. their name, right? And they, yeah. the business will work around them to extract that genius. Yeah. But I think in these settings where you've got um, a, a big problem to solve, it's not hugely technically um, complex in the, you know, we're using t- tested patterns of yeah. databases, microservices, APIs, we're not really yeah. there. And, uh, and, you know, whatever front, front end front framework we've chosen, having that strategic overlay and be, and that ability to yeah it, it do the do the work up do the work down and do the yep. work sideways um is really important and i'm seeing more people um you know in the industry sort of come from this background as well yeah so. that's great again it's it's um, the reason I kind of wanted to unpack that a bit was, was for people that have maybe started off in their career mm. um, and thinking about where, where where else could i end up um, yeah. and as i say i think most BAs would probably assume their career journey is to project management, program management, yep. change management potentially. Yeah. Um, so it's great to hear um, an example of someone that's broken that mold. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah and, and, and as you articulated, you know the the benefits of that as well. Yeah. When, when you think more broadly about your career, um, do you have any career regrets? Do I have any career regrets? Yes. Uh, look, I think there's. It's the relationships with people that I would have liked to have kept. You know, the yeah. time spent catching up with someone you have you worked with five years ago over a coffee and keeping that network of people yeah. um, who, you know, I have worked for or with or have worked for me. Um, I think if I had more time in the day or hours in the week or lunches in the year kind of thing, <laughs> I would spend more time just catching up with those people whose contribution and sort of brains that I really value. Yeah. And um, because there's, as you get, you know, this is 15, 16 years of sort of doing technology uh, adjacent stuff these days. It's a lot of projects. It's a lot of releases and it's a lot of like people who've given their all generally Mm. for, you know, in aid of something that I've laid out. So I feel like there's a there's a big debt of gratitude out there of the people yeah. I've worked with in the past. Um, so yeah, there, there's a, a whole list of people I'd love to spend more time with, and probably should, maybe maybe we just found one New Year's resolution. Maybe we did. Who, right. who knows? Yeah, maybe I should check in with you next year and see how you went. Yeah, that's it. Feel free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and through your career, how much um, how much of your career was kind of premeditated and planned? Zero. To, yeah. Zero. Yeah. 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 I think uh, possibly. 
uh, at Ento, uh, knowing that, okay, the next step here from um, uh, being ahead of is something with a C in front of it over the next yeah. uh, few years. Um, it happened quicker than I intended. Um, but I am, um, you know, I, I, I've preached the agile gospel, you know, yeah. to, with, with the, in the right amounts. You can yeah. take it too far. Um, I think any plan is only worth, you know, you know, be doing for the fact of, as a thought exercise, yeah. right? Uh, but all opportunities that have come my way um, have uh, been organic or kind of random. Um, I guess my playbook is always just to take on a challenge that I don't think I, that's in that sort of 120% range yeah. i think colmio was way more than 120 percent i learned you know orders of magnitude more than that yeah um but yeah always take it always taking on a challenge and i'm not someone who can clock on clock off yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay um i also noticed that you you went back to uni and did a master's in information systems yeah um how important do you think that was to your kind of continued progression in your career um, you're you're the uh, recruiter. I, I I'd be interested in your thoughts on that and where how that um, you know what uh, sway that holds these days when you're going through resumes. I think in terms of giving confidence to the board of directors that I report to at Colmio, I think probably lots. Yep. I think at this level probably would have been a ceiling. Before that, um, I, I think it was more a, it was a bit of a vanity project and um, yeah, okay. uh, prob- probably a little bit of imposter syndrome as well. Yeah. Uh, some, you know, insecurity, yeah. if I'm honest, uh, around not having, you know, a couple of letters um, yeah. uh, <laughs> against my name. Yeah. Um, I think the wonderful thing, and I, I'd, I would recommend anyone take the same path if they're able to um you don't have to do an undergrad i don't have an undergrad um i did audio engineering um but (laughs) it hasn't uh, so well maybe i I am an engineer of sorts right yeah um uh but you don't have to have an undergrad and with industry-based learning you you know uh, is lot you know and it's not something you can go out and get a job for a, a year or so and then rock up and say I want to do my masters. Yeah. But if you have enough industry based learning, you can just do your masters. Yeah. Um, and um, you know I think Swinburne's pretty good at that. Sh- shout yeah. out to the, the Swinburne alumni. But yeah, it, it's another it's another journey and with cost of living and all this these days as well um i it's significantly cheaper as well so yeah that's interesting i think um we talked about this same topic with andrea bell from eboss group yeah who uh did the same um and actually we were talking about the i guess the relationships that she built outside of her business Mm. and the learning from Mm. working with other people through the course through the study oh yeah um and kind of just being outside the four walls of her domain, yeah, 
and hearing, oh, that's how they're delivering that project or they're using this tech. Yeah. Um, so sometimes the learning isn't necessarily the, the curriculum, let's call it. No. It's the, 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 the holistic experience of being around like-minded people. Yeah, and I think the cohort in those, um, if you've got some industry experience, the cohort in um, the postgraduate degrees is people you will bump into and yes, you right. watch rise yeah. um, to you know very lofty uh, heights. Um, you know, people I've worked with, uh, you know, partners at Deloitte and, um, C- you know, CEOs, right. CTOs elsewhere. Um, and it's a great, that some of those relationships have been super handy bet, um, yeah. uh, through, you know, throughout the years. And we still catch up every now and then. Yeah. Again, not as often as I'd like. That's, uh, that's <laughs> There's next, a theme yeah. here, Bill. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> if, um, if you had one piece of, a singular piece of sage advice that you would give to somebody that's kind of, set off on a tech career right now uh, in terms of how they, they, I guess, develop their career, what would it be? Yeah, if, you know, technology isn't just code, right? Yeah. These technology, you know, code runs on a whole bunch of technology um, that it is all sort of just as important um, uh, to, you know, get the, get these outcomes that we're all trying to get for our customers to, you know, build a sustainable business and uh, change the world if you're in the, in the startup space, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I think there, there is, uh, people are really, it's confronting. It's uh, it, people, there, there is a really big imposter syndrome yeah. Uh, that goes in the technology space, and I think there are cultures, as you know, that I'm not a huge fan of. of there is a bit of chest beating around yeah. the place, um, so get com- get comfortable with your imposter syndrome, and you know, back yourself. Uh, take those challenges that you're not ready for, um, because I think people are surprised. Would be surprised once you jump in. It's a lot harder to fail than you would actually think it is. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, in terms of like your own, I guess, personal development, uh, do you read much? Yeah, I, I. It's been a year of science fiction, though. I've been. That's I've okay. Put, I've put down a lot of the, the business <laughs> books this year. That's, that's um, not a bad thing. What, what, what's your recommended read then for the year? Well, so I, I've, I do have a business book. I'll, I'll recommend. I've got two actually. I want the sci-fi there, so. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, my, I, I'm doing a second read of what I think is my favourite book I've ever read, which is Annihilation. Um, And they made a movie about it. It's... um, uh, but it's kind of a new, weird science fiction thing. I'm a late in life science fictioner. Okay. I was listening. A late to, bloomer. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. Um, uh, the I was listening to the um, uh, Sprint podcast, which was Jake Knapp and Jonathan Courtney, with the guy who invented design sprints, and another guy who has an agency that runs yep. design sprints. Really entertaining guys. They don't do, uh, do it, unfortunately, anymore. But every now and then, they'd have a sci-fi book um, yep. that they'd drop in, and this was one of them. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a whole other world. I, yeah. I think I'd conflated <laughs> mentally fantasy, like Game of Thrones, with you know hard sci-fi nerd stuff, which yep. is I'm definitely a fan of the latter now. So Annihilation yeah. Yeah. is is the book. My biz, my two business books, which I think we've run Colmio by okay. as much as possible over the last uh, four to five years. One is called Range, okay. and it's something that when I read it, I'm like, oh, this, someone's written a book about me. Not that I'm, I'm not that nihilistic, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> close. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, it, it is uh, it's kind of a, a loose study 
of the trajectory of people's uh, uh, careers and companies uh, where they have people who have a range of experiences, hence the name, um, or very specialised experiences. Yeah. And um, so, for example, you know, you might be a, uh, a sort of podcaster, but you've also done, you know, you have a background in science and you also yeah. drove Ubers, so you know how to get stuff from A to B. Yeah. All the, and people who de-specialise um, have kind of an easier path and a more successful path uh, through through life, and that's that was one of our hiring ethoses at um, at Colmio. That you know, are you are you a fit for us? Obviously, and can you do the job? But what other things have you done? Oh, you've yeah. got a little you've got a little startup that you're running over here, a little side hustle, awesome. Yeah. Or you uh, were working in a lab, or and you decided that wasn't for you, so you just started cutting some code. That that kind of breadth yeah. of experience it makes the full person. Yeah. Um, the other one uh, is the power of moments, which is yeah, just okay. a great. Book. You've been and talking I, to Harry? Sorry, no. Well, I have been talking to Harry. Of course, we talking about Harry. books. That's um, uh, when Harry first joined the business. It was one of the first books he told me about. Ah, it ended up yeah. with Harry's Hack Day. Yeah, the back of this. That's a different story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, gone power of moments. What what inspired you? Um, I think it was just as we were starting out um, Colmio, and this concept that you moments of joy and or, or significance can actually be manufactured. Yeah. There's I think there's an inherent belief that, you know, those things that we, you know, remember for the rest yep. of our days or that really shift the dial are all happenstance yep. and we just, you know, that you might collect them like sort of, you know, picking up breadcrumbs yep. through life. But uh, I think one of the most powerful examples is, you know, um, Haley remembers her graduation day from uh, yeah. from from Swinburne. That's okay. That's and you know maybe your parents came and they remember it as well if they were li- lucky enough to come. That's a manufactured experience, yeah. but it's um, uh, it's purely you know it's organic in how it feels to us as well as yeah. and so in software development um, uh, or business or service design or. Recruitment, yeah. we can you know we can create those moments yes. and really make an impact uh, on how people feel about us themselves and how they engage with our brands. So yeah. I, it was really that sort of nugget um, is I think really important. So it was a real yeah, absolutely. moment for me. Look, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Harry kind of uh, was motivated by that to actually redesign our onboarding experience. Yeah, yeah, onboarding such an important one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you, you kind of. You, know, you talk about wanting to take people on a journey and mm-hmm. a mission. Yeah. Well, you get the first step wrong. Yeah. You're kind of off on the wrong path. Yeah, totally. Um, and uh, yeah, we spent a lot of time working through that actually. Yeah. Uh, after I know Harry was yeah motivated by that. Yeah. Um, so another random question for you. Okay. And I haven't asked anyone else this, but I was inspired <laughs> by your background. Um, desert island discs. Oh. Right. So if yeah. you if you got to go to a desert island and take a couple of records, what, what are you packing? Um, so I probably I originally before sort of electronic music yeah. came along um, I was originally a bit of a punk yeah. um, so I'd probably say London Calling by The, yes. by the Clash of yes. which I have an original pressing there you go um, uh, in the same vein um, oh gosh I can remember the cover I can't remember the name but anything by Jamie T 
because um, my wife loves him and we enjoy listening to that uh, at home. Um, and uh, final one, probably Air Draw Dagger by Sasha. Which oh, is, there you go. Yeah, just yeah. That that, just, just throw the dance music I, in there and show my age a little bit as well. Yeah. <laughs> I um I played a show with Jamie T. Oh, really? And I've actually got a um, handmade mixtape he made for me. Oh, wait, and, okay. Uh, You're going to have to send a so photo I'm gonna, of that. I'm going to dig it out from my garage yeah. over Christmas yeah. and uh, I'll, I'll bring it in. I, uh, I bought I bought the... Um, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I'll remember it as soon as we stop recording. But yeah. um, I bought his record for her last Christmas and it's been yeah. on high. His new record's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah. And um, produced by the guys from the Maccabees. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, this is another story for another day because yeah. uh, there's a, a whole place i can go with that but yeah um amazing thank you yeah thank you it's been Enjoyed this. very enjoyable thank you thank you for listening to tales from tech tysons and be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcast if you'd like to get more insights about tech careers then check out the ember that's e double linkedin page for the latest updates articles and engaging discussions